Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray. Lord, it is overwhelming to think of the fact that you would call us your own. Lord, we who have turned from you every way we can, we who have tried to do it our own way, we who have tried and failed so many times, we who know the depth of our own sinfulness and we, we who understand the distance that we've built in between us and you, Lord, the fact that you would come for us and the fact that you would, through Christ, redeem us and that you would call us your own, Lord, it's too much. It's, it's unbelievable. But Lord, it's so true and we're so thankful. And so, Lord, now in the context of this space, in the presence of your Holy Spirit, we turn to your Holy Word and we pray that you would speak to us, that you would renew us, that you would transform us, that you would make us more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Several years ago, uh, we got an angry Facebook message. Some of y'all may not know, we're on social media. We have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those things. We don't do Snapchat because Mike Lemon said Snapchat's the devil, so we listen to Mike Lemon. But um, we got an angry Facebook message several years ago, and it was a young man. I, I can't remember his name, honestly, so I'm not holding anything back. But he said, you talked about the fact that, that God knows everything there is to know about us. That God knows everything, every thought, every deed, every intention, everything about us. And I don't like that because I don't want my God to know everything about me. I want to hold on to some secrets. I want to hold on to some things about me. And all you're trying to do is exploit my shame. I thought, wow, bless his heart. So I responded to him and I said, well, I I'm commissioned to tell the truth. <laughs> Got to tell the truth. And God really does know everything about you. He knows everything, every thought, every word, every deed. Before you speak a word, he already knows it. Before you think a thought, he knows what's coming. And for this young man, that was deeply unsettling because this young man apparently was a sinner. What he didn't realize is that the person he was messaging angrily is also a sinner who is a bit unsettled by the truth that God knows everything about me, every thought, every, everything there is to know. If you knew about me what God knows about me, you wouldn't be here right now. But if we knew about you what God knows about you, we probably wouldn't let you in. So it can be unsettling to know that God knows everything there is to know, but I think the most deeply settling truth that we get to proclaim every single week is that the God who knows everything about us that there is to know loves us so deeply that he gave his only begotten son for us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got better, not after we put secret and shameful ways behind us, no, while we were still sinners. That's when God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. That's when Christ laid down his life for us and was stretched out upon that old rugged cross. 
while we were still sinners, that's when God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God because our God who knows everything there is to know about us knows how helpless and hopeless we are without him. And so he intervened. He made the first move. He reached out first to come get us and to save us, to redeem us, to to cleanse us, to wash us, and to take away our guilt. And do you know what he takes away when he takes away our guilt? He takes away the corresponding shame. Sin never travels alone, does it? It's always accompanied by shame. I can remember my grandmother with her rheumatoid arthritic fingers doing this to me. Some of you know what this means. Shame, shame. Now she didn't do it often, she'd let me get away. I could burn the house down and she'd say, well, maybe don't do that next time. But occasionally, shame, shame. Sin never travels alone. And this young man that emailed me so angry so many years ago was racked with the shame that accompanied his sin. And all we're trying to do is offer freedom. Freedom from sin. And freedom from shame. But in order to experience that freedom, you have to look at the sin and the the shame first. You have to be honest with God and you have to be honest with yourself And we're going to look at a woman today who was kind of forced into that honesty by Jesus. She's a woman that that we just have a brief moment with her. In fact, her story is only told in John chapter 4. So if you're in the room, Pew Bible, that's page 888. But John chapter 4, we don't even know this woman's name. We know her as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. We only get less than one chapter about her life, but I'm going to tell you, this less than one chapter about her life is transformative. It was transformative for her, and it's been transformative for generations. This woman was a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by Jews, and Jews were hated by Samaritans. And in fact, even the Gentiles looked down on the Samaritans because they were a new ethnicity, They came about starting in around 722 B.C. when the king of Assyria invaded Israel and he took God's people out of Samaria and he brought people from Assyrian nations and Babylonian nations and Sepharvaim and Abba and other places and and settled them in that land that God had given to his people. So so the king of Assyria took God's people out and put his people in and and what happened was the Jews that remained, the few Jews that remained, intermarried with the, the Assyrian people, and they created a new ethnicity known as the Samaritans. And so they were seen as less than pure by everybody, really. And it was an ugly situation. But then it wasn't just that they were a new ethnicity. No, when the Assyrians came in, they brought in their own gods. And so they worshiped their gods in the space devoted to worship of the one true and living God. And they developed this syncretistic religion where they took some elements of Judaism and some elements of their pagan deities and they put them all together. 
And so the Samaritans had their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and they had their own version of the Pentateuch, and they had their own version of Israel, Israelite history. And it wasn't what God had said. And so they had a lot going on. Well, all this started in 722 BC, and seven centuries later, the tension was still there, and it was still high. So much so that, that Jews and Samaritans disliked each other so much that in order to get from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, the straight line goes through Samaria. But most Jews wouldn't go through Samaria because they didn't like Samaritans. So what they would do is hang a right, go over to the Jordan River, and go along the banks of the Jordan up to the Sea of Galilee. That's where they would enter into Galilee. They would, they would add time and distance to their journey just so they could avoid the Samaritans. They didn't like each other. And so the scene that we're going to see today is Jesus, a Jewish man, encountering a woman of Samaria who goes to the well at noon. Now to further paint the picture, you need to realize that most women didn't go lugging those heavy clay water jars to the well in the heat of the day. They went at dawn and they went at dusk. They didn't wanna go in the middle of the day. I've been there, it's hot. It's not real pleasant at dawn and dusk, but it's better than noon. But this woman went at noon. We're going to learn from her story that she apparently had a past. How many of you can identify with a person who has a past? Well, she had a past. And whatever that past was, it prevented her from going to the well at the times that the other women went. I have a hunch as to why. But we're going to see Jesus have a divine appointment with this woman that she knows nothing about. His disciples know nothing about, but I assure you, Jesus knew all about. And we're going to see in response that the Samaritan woman trusted and followed Jesus, and her life was transformed. If you're taking notes today, that's the theme of the message. The Samaritan woman followed Jesus. She decided to follow Jesus, and her life was transformed. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, the Apostle John records these events as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Our first point today is this. The Samaritan woman followed Jesus to a new honesty. The Samaritan woman followed Jesus to a new honesty. Now, there's so much in this text. It's so rich and so dense. So if you want part two, a different, uh, different explanation of the text, come to Vespers tonight. But for now, just look at this story from the, from the perspective, the POV of the Samaritan woman. She's here. It's hot. She's drawing water to take care of the day. She can't come in the morning, she can't come in the evening, she's here in the middle of the day. And now here's a Jewish man. Men aren't supposed to talk to women, Jews aren't supposed to talk to Samaritans, and this guy asks her for a drink. She has an attitude. And Jesus explains himself to her. If you knew who you were talking to, if you only knew who you were talking to in this moment, you would come to me and I would give you living water. She thinks he's talking about a spring. He's not. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, everlasting life in Jesus Christ our Lord, welling up unto eternal life. So she keeps going. She keeps having an attitude. Yeah, well, give me this water so I don't have to come here anymore. Jesus then decides to obey the cultural norms and says, go call your husband. She said, I don't have one. Now, when she said, I don't have one, she was telling the truth. Now, Jesus is getting ready to expose the fact that she's had five husbands and she's now living with a man who's not willing to marry her for whatever reason. And he's not willing to marry her probably because she's not willing to mention him. How about that? She is living in a less than ideal situation with a man who won't marry her, whose name she doesn't feel the need to mention. And Jesus calls her on it. He calls her to a new honesty. Because before you can ever have your sin and shame removed, you have to be honest with yourself. And you have to be honest with God. And until you're honest with yourself and until you're honest with God, you can't be set free. There's a saying in recovery that you're only as sick as your secrets. You ever heard that before? Well, it's very true. This woman had secrets. Now, I would imagine they weren't the most secret of secrets because that's probably why she was coming to the well at noon. She had secrets. Jesus exposed her secrets. He welcomed her to a new honesty. Was it painful? I'm sure. She's getting ready to change the subject. But she can't be set free until she faces reality. So Jesus calls her to be honest with herself and with God. Let's see what happens next. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Second point, the Samaritan woman followed Jesus to a new understanding. The Samaritan woman followed Jesus to a new understanding. She immediately changes the subject. We'll talk more about that tonight. You understand why she changes the subject because I think we would change the subject too. Let's go to a Sunday school question. Let's quit talking about my life and let's talk about theology right now, please. I don't want to talk about me anymore. I want to talk about very clean theological debates that we can hold at an arm's length. And Jesus engages her. He tells her salvation is from the Jews. He tells her that Jerusalem is the place to worship, but the hour is coming and has now arrived because he's here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and true worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth because what was going to happen when he died on that cross, we sang about it this morning, and the veil was torn in two and the ground quaked beneath was the way to God was made open to all people through Jesus Christ. And worship no longer happens at a temple in Jerusalem. It happens in the new temple. We are the temple. Everyone who has repented of sin to trust and follow Jesus Christ as Lord, we have become the temple of God. God dwells within us, so we worship whenever and wherever we are. We worship with our songs, but we also worship with our lives. And we want the the proclamation of our lips to match the witness of our lives, that's true worship. So Jesus is elevating her to a new understanding, and he elevates us to that new understanding as well, but he doesn't stop there. Look with me at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Our third point today is this, the Samaritan woman followed Jesus to a new freedom. I think one of the most beautiful moments in this story is Jesus calls her on her sin. He confesses to her that he is the Messiah. And she is so overwhelmed with the reality of the presence of God right in front of her that she left her water jar and took off running. Where's she going? She's going to the town full of people that she's trying to avoid by coming to the well at noon. And she's not going to avoid them. She's going to seek them out because she has had an encounter with the one true and living God. He called her on her stuff, but he did so in amazing love. You know, I would imagine that most men looked at this woman as the sum of her parts, the sum of what she could offer them. But here's a man, a Jewish man at that, who doesn't look at her for the sum of her parts. He doesn't even look at her as the sum of her past. He looks at her as a precious creation of God, knit together in her mother's womb by the very hands of God, made in the image of God, and so 
deeply loved by God that God sent his only begotten son for her. Now, she didn't know on this morning when she picked up that heavy water jar and took out toward the well that she was going to have an encounter with God that would change her life. She didn't know it was coming. All she knew was she had to get water for the day, and so she she picked up that big old water jar and off she went. But then she had an encounter with God that caused her to forget all about the burden of that water jar. And the water jar wasn't the only burden she forgot, was it? She forgot all about her shame, didn't she? See, she's no longer burdened by that shame, so now she can go and she can seek out the people she's previously been trying to avoid. Why? Because she's met the one who can change her, and if he can change her, he might be able to change them too. And so she goes. She forgets her jar, and she goes to tell people she's been set free. Skip down with me to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Our fourth and final point today is this. The Samaritan woman followed Jesus to a new love. The Samaritan woman followed Jesus to a new love, and I'm going to tell you something. I think that it was a multifaceted love. Do you know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, do you remember what they did? They hid, didn't they? They tried to hide from God. You ever tried to hide from God? I have. It doesn't work. He knows where we are. He knows what we're thinking. He knows every word we're going to speak before it forms on our tongue. We can't hide from God. But I would imagine that this woman had been hiding from God for a while. And not only had she been hiding from God, she had been hiding from everybody else. She went to the well in the middle of the day because she didn't want to deal with the other women. Sin leads to shame. Shame leads us to hide. And what's happening now is this woman has now had an encounter with God himself. She has been set free from her burden of sin and shame. She has encountered the one who can give her a freedom that surpasses anything she ever dreamed she would ever have. And so she loves him for it. And I would imagine that in that moment, she started to love herself again just a little bit, don't you think? Mirrors weren't as clear back in this day as they are today, but they had them. There were pieces of brass or bronze that they would polish as well as they could. So you could look at yourself in the mirror, and I imagine every time this woman looked at herself in the mirror, she wasn't real pleased with what she was looking at. Now she's encountered the one who told her all she had ever done, called her on her junk, and offered her freedom. 
So she began to love God more deeply. She had previously been afraid of him, but now she had experienced his all-surpassing love. She was able to love herself again because she had encountered the one who could take away her sin and her shame. And you know what that led her to do? It led her to love all those people who had previously made her feel so horrible. She wanted them to have eternal life too. That's what Jesus does. He transforms us so that we can love God. We can even love ourselves and we can love everybody else and welcome them to eternal life in Jesus too. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.